and welcome to another episode of Watch Better Movies. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Matthew. And I'm Colin. And we're here to talk about another great film for you today. It's a uh, little older movie this time around. <laughs> a little. A little, eh, a little bit. Eh, give or take a few years. Um, it is called His Girl Friday, and this was Matthew's pick. Yes, I... Uh... One, I'm very curious. Um, I already have some feedback from my podcast brothers here that uh, it revealed Colin's millennial status more than he realized uh, was very present in him. I, um, a little preface before I introduce the movie, I, I have to confess why movies like this uh, possibly resonate with me more than others. I don't know about YouTube, but I was raised on Nick at Night. Uh, like I, uh, as a child, I was not allowed to watch a lot of things, and so I pretty much grew up watching black and white movies. So while all my friends watched The Simpsons and I was not allowed to, I watched I Love Lucy and The Andy Griffith Show and Dick Van Dyke and you know My Three Sons. And I, I hate to break it to you, but for me, Nick at Night was in color. See, Colin, I, I would say that that was when Nick at Night became not Nick at Night. <laughs> Uh, I love Lucy and things like that, and I dream of Jeannie. And that—that's—that's that—that's real Nick and Night. So I grew up on that. I grew up on old school westerns with my grandpa, and, and so I'm used to watching older films. And so as I started uh, researching and trying to become more of a film buff and figure out what were the greatest movies of all time, I think it was a little bit easier, more palatable for me to dump, jump in, dump in, jump in uh, to some of these films. And so this film is His Girl Friday, uh, directed by Howard Hawks, uh, starring Cary Grant and uh, Rosalind Russell. Uh, this was directed by Hawks in 1940. Um, and basically, just a little summarization of what this film is about. Uh, it is a, uh, it, it is a, what do they call it? A screwball comedy. Um, Howard Hawks' actual goal in this, just to give some framework, was his ambition from the very beginning of directing this movie was to make the fastest movie ever when it comes to dialogue. Um, and so I am sitting in a room with two guys that are much more technical than me. Um, you know, Ben's videographer, Colin. And, uh, is involved in creative arts with all different forms of technology. And uh, at this time, um, it was very, very difficult to make a movie like this. And so if you know, one thing that's a characteristics of His Girl Friday is that it is basically nonstop from the very beginning, talking, 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 talking. And in fact, it was one of the first movies ever to um, have overlapping dialogue. Mm -hmm. Just because of technology, they, t they used to only have just one boom mic, and that would be what captured everything. And so to have everybody just talking over each other was very difficult to capture just with one boom mic. And so he did different things to where he had different guys over there, like trying to capture each person with a different mic and cutting each time that they started and stopped talking. And so it made it very difficult, but he was trying to break new territory. Um, and so basically this is a movie about uh, journalism and many ways it's a story of uh, Rosalind Russell, her character uh, Gildy. Uh, she has been an exceptional reporter um, for The Post and uh, her boss and also her ex-husband, uh, Cary Grant's character, uh, Walter Burns. Um, is uh, she is coming to let him know that she is officially done, not only with him, but also with the newspaper business. Uh, and she is going to go marry uh, the next day. Uh, I believe Bruce is his name. And uh, Cary Grant and all of his savviness, uh, who is not done with her romantically, but maybe the whole movie is whether he really loves her or loves doing the paper business with her, is that the whole movie is basically him finding a way to strategize through so many different means uh, to keep her from going through uh, with this wedding um, and to basically stay with him and to stay with the post and be a part of um, the newspaper business. Um, and so that's kind of just the story arc of it. It's not a massively complex film. I do think it's also a film that critiques journalism. Um, and so in a sense, um, 
you know, he was critiquing, um, watching a whole bunch of journalists all in a room together of the links in which they would go uh, to actually get the story, the way they would actually embellish the story. It's also a story about a mayor and a sheriff that have an election coming up the next week. We just, you know, we just have exited or have we exited the political season of 2020. This isn't that kind of podcast. And uh, but to think about, you know, this political season isn't fully over yet, but really it's also uh, the sheriff and this mayor of what links they would go to to get reelected or to, um, you know, to to, you know, stay in favor of whether that might even be killing an innocent man uh, so that they might actually stay um, in office or to conceal, you know, actual information that's uh, that's there. And so I think this movie, while it is slapstick comedy, it's a screwball comedy. Um, I do think that it actually is uh, using cynicism and uh, quick-witted humor to actually expose some of the fallacies of institutions in our world that we put so much trust in. So, I mean, I'm curious, uh, Colin, I think you've already let me know a little bit before we went on air. Uh, this was a, a difficult watch for you. It's been a while maybe since you sat down and watched a black and white movie. Man, I this this movie made me feel bad because of how much I struggled. Like, I don't often think of myself as like a millennial trendy you know those those sorts of things but put me in front of a black and white movie and i'm like just up a creek without a paddle i was like it took so much for me to focus and again i'm like ashamed in what i'm saying but i can maybe count on one hand the number of black and white movies i'd seen before this like think of white christmas i think of some movie I think I watched in middle school with like Dracula in it. You know, I think of a couple other movies and wait, white Christmas is black and white. There is a black and white version of white Christmas. Okay. Sorry. I just, when I saw it, it wasn't black and white. My bad. <laughs> You're so young, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's into the technicolor. Uh, Colin's but, five years younger than me, by the way. Hey, my birthday's next week. So hey, happy birthday. I'll get, I'll be getting closer. But anyways, black and white movies. So like I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to get into it and I did it. It's a good story and we'll get into that a little bit more, but it just was harder than I thought it would be. And I guess it's just the way that I'm, my brain is trained to be so drawn into, you know, the color, the excitement, just all of the you know, stimulation that that like gives in your brain to help keep you engaged that when you took that thing out, it made it so much more difficult. I mean, again, I don't want to talk bad about it. Like I think there's such a place for it, but it just, it caught me off guard how much I struggled to watch this. What about you, Ben? Like, did I like it? What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, every movie we've watched so far has been more in the modern era. Uh, Did it, to watch something that old back in 1940, something uh, in black and white, uh, was that kind of a, a culture shock at first for you uh, as you started watching this to kind of be taken back to a way of filming and a type of dialogue and a type of acting that aren't as common today? Yeah, definitely at first. Um, yeah, it's a comedy. Uh, the It definitely caught me off guard at first because of how different movies are now. Um, mm-hmm. The it seemed like the uh, the plot was moving forward through dialogue, much like a play. Mm. Um, well, just a little note: that. this was made from a play. That it shows. Yep. It shows, um, and that actually leads me to one of my questions: was uh, I noticed that a lot of the action, because there was a lot going on, there's like a case that breaks later, because um, they're journalists, and I was I was wondering, a lot of the action happens off screen, and we don't really see it. Some of it happens on screen, but most of it happens off screen. So I was wondering if that was because it was a stage play or because that was like budgetary or maybe it was speaking more to the fact that they're journalists and like they they hear most of their action 
And yeah, from how it. from how I understand how this movie was ever even made is that Hawks had seen uh, the actual play, which is I'll have to pull it up uh, the name of it, but. Uh, for him, uh, he had the been front page. The front page was the name of it, and it was, uh, I believe, it was a Broadway play. And for him, um, he bought the rights to it after being in some just room, sitting around schmoozing with producers and stuff. And I think the challenge was, could you make a could could that translate to could a a stage play that talks that fast actually translate to film? And uh, so I, I told Ben this a minute ago. The average movie to this day has 90, 90 words spoken a minute. Uh, this movie had two hundred forty words Ooh. spoken a minute. <laughs> It also shows. And so I think he took it upon himself, that challenge. Um, and I think something we maybe we can get into later is that His Girl Friday is, you know, if you look at AFI, the American Film Institute, they famously have like the top 100 American films of all time. They also have the top 100 laughs. This movie comes up on that. It's, it's, it's on a list for many people of greatest comedies of all time. But one of the things I find intriguing about it is that it broke new ground in the way a comedy could be filmed by the quick the quick dialogue. And I think there are modern-day movies that have followed suit that have tried to mimic fast-talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can get to that later of what are um, what are some movies uh, movies or shows that have tried to follow suit to try to really build their whole show, not so much off of what you see on camera, but on, you know, on really fast dialogue. Yeah, I was kind of telling you before we started, um, like I, I got a very Spielbergian vibe. Um, from just like how them stepping on each other's lines uh it for me it was reminiscent of like uh the goonies or super eight everybody in those movies are just like talking at the same time and i know in those movies it's it's they do that because they want to show like how kids are um but there's also a lot of real life things um parallels as well that's i I like that kind of stuff i I noticed something watching this that i intentionally this time is my second time watching this um and the first time I watched it, I didn't watch it with subtitles. This time I intentionally, because I knew it was such a fast-talking movie, I tried to watch it with subtitles. And I don't know if either one of you had subtitles on, but the subtitles couldn't keep up with the words. Have, I, I had to have it, subtitles on. But it literally, That's if you funny. watch it, it does not catch all the dialogue. It's just impossible. There's no way it can keep up with all of it. Um, uh, just a little thing that's maybe you caught on to. I, I brought this up to Ben beforehand. Is there is quite a bit of the dialogue that's actually ad-libbed, which you don't know that necessarily. But Howard Hawks would even tell them, "Hey, when it gets to the script, like if there's a gap, just keep talking. Like just say what comes <laughs> to mind." And so they would just keep going and going. And some of the best lines, um, you know, that uh, that have been said, were some that they just inserted in there. Why do you think they decided to do that? Why do you think the the director decided to like make it like so hectic like that? Well, one, I think he took it upon himself as a challenge. Howard Hawks was a guy that directed a lot of different types of movies. And so uh, he was a director that, uh, you know, you think of some directors, they make the same type of movie over and over and over again, right? Like they're, sure. they're just going to make that type of movie. Um, Howard Hawks made Bringing Up Baby famously before this. And I mean, he was in the realm of comedy. He would later do stuff like Gentleman's P- Gentleman, uh, prefer, prefer Blondes with Marilyn Monroe. But he also did, you know, Westerns, you know, with Rio Bravo and El Dorado, which were two of my favorites when my grandpa as a kid. He also directed Sergeant York. And so I think he was a guy that liked to be challenged to do new things. So I think the reason, one reason he did this uh, was one, to do something that hadn't been done. Uh, Two, I think it was also um, to uh, use new technology, you know, to try to break new territory of using microphones in ways that haven't been used before. Um, I think that he also, I I had kind of promised Colin this was a movie that didn't have a deep message, but um, (laughs) if you look at some of the context that's going on, they're talking about like the red, the red army and this different stuff. And you're dealing with, this is very much a movie in a place and time. It's, it's dealing, it's dealing with Russia. It's dealing with being made in the midst of world war two. I find it interesting made in 1940 that it wasn't so much talking as much about Hitler as it was about Russia, which I find 
uh, to be interesting is there was a line, one of my most famous lines to me in the movie was from Cary Grant. Um, was they were trying to find a way to put the the story of um, of this killer uh, that they had actually ended up capturing <laughs> accidentally, who they had hid inside of a desk, that they wanted that to be the front page, and they said, "Hey, just move Hitler to the funny pages." And I do think historically, um, you know, we're, we we look at everything from World War II and the Holocaust retroactively. Um, but from looking back at it, even in the 1940s where stuff's happening there, even Russia was more on the minds of the director than Hitler was. And even say put Hitler on the funny pages, I think that to some degree, like he was not even taken as seriously by this point in 1940 that it was just put him on the funny pages. This, uh, do we really take this guy seriously? But were there uh, were there any bits um, that you found most funny? Um, was there any particular characters that you found that you resonated with the most at all? You know, that you really appreciated the way that they acted? Me or Colin? Either one. Um, Cary Grant, for sure. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked all the characters. What do you like about Cary Grant? Uh, just his attitude <laughs> towards everything. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say similar. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that he was the main character, but and maybe he was the one that I could also... I mean, he talked the most, pretty much, but was able to get the most out of as well. And uh, So much smoking. So much smoking. So much smoking. <laughs> um, the the whole journalist thing. Um, why do you think they made it like like a? Why do you think they chose journalism as a central thing as a as the center of the story, or the point of the story? As you well, said, I, I, I'll say this: you asked what he was trying to accomplish, and, yeah. and maybe it took you a little bit to get into this. But if I don't know about you, and maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm more comfortable in a film like this, but. To me, it was an action movie through words. Like, if you watch an action movie that never stops moving, you know that adrenaline of, like, it's just, like, you almost don't even get a breath. He almost did an action movie without any action. It's yeah. just... But no, the that's, pa- that's the, deep. That's good. The pace of the dialogue literally made you just, like, constantly have to watch what was happening. But it wasn't so much watching to pay attention, to you know, with your eyes of what's happening so confusingly. It was it was an action movie with words. Um, now, and I think, to in order to do that, if you're going to make an action movie, like... Doing it in a journalistic way like that, I think, was one of the most fast-paced things you could do with dialogue. And I don't know, maybe that's the way journalism was done back then. You well, literally had all the journalists together. That, like, I would, I don't have much, you know, proof behind it, but I would speculate that it's at least somewhat reminiscent of the truth of what like a newsroom was like. I mean, and you know, I'm again I'm such an expert in like historical films and stuff, but every little thing I've seen about like newsrooms in the past have always been that super fast-paced, super abrupt quick quirky little spaces well, those are my favorite lines was you know you think about they, they all had the lines you know they all had the phones where you literally take like the little uh, what shape would that thing be like okay. no what that little thing you put to your ear and you t- uh, I don't even know but like the you know these old timey yeah the old timey phones the old timey phones <laughs> and I think some of my favorite dial my favorite bits of the movie are when they're in that newsroom and they're all just talking over each other. They're all breaking their headlines. And the funny thing is we know this from watching headlines of news, but like one thing would happen and then they all give their headline back to, you know, their editor and they were all different headlines. They were in in completely different, like, uh, you know, perspectives of this thing that happened and, you know, stretched, but probably my favorite dialogues are when, when Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell, are both talking back and forth on the phone to different people to different people. And, but yet also still engaging with one another. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I really enjoyed those. Um, you know, I think Cary Grant to me is one of the more underappreciated actors. I feel like, you know, if you look back, I'm, I'm a snob of looking at who had the most Oscars and who had the most this. And I think he only was nominated for like two. 
Um, and so, you know, he doesn't have, you know, I, I feel like what he deserves. Um, but, you know, I love him in Hitchcock movies like North by Northwest or Notorious. Well, so I was going to ask, Matthew, what, what, do you remember the first time you watched this? Do you remember what got you to watch it? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, we're filming, we're, uh, recording a podcast and, um, my favorite film podcast is Film Spotting. And what I love about Film Spotting, and I hope that people grow to love about Watch Better Movies, is they forced me to watch movies I had not seen before. And I watched this, and maybe like y'all, at the beginning, I didn't know what I was watching, but in, in just my experience, I found myself, even the second viewing, I once you get to a certain place, I don't know what the timestamp would be, but once I got to a certain place, I had a little grin on my face that just didn't leave. Uh, there's just you get caught up in the world that they make of just the banter and some of these little lines and some of the facial expressions, and it just brought joy to me. Um, and, I, and and maybe in a world of so much. Um, I watch a lot of dark movies, to be honest with you, too. Like, I'm willing to watch, like, I watch Marvel movies, I watch Star Wars, but I'll also watch stuff that people be like, why would you watch that? Like Short Term 12? Well, That's a good movie, that, Colin. It's a good movie. <laughs> I, I would just say we could get much darker. Um, sure. But I do think that, for me, it also, I enjoyed just the lightheartedness of it. Mm. I think it caught me on a day to where it just brought, like, a joy and a smile, and I enjoyed just laughing. Um, I also enjoy, like, truthfully, while we can talk about something like in Bruges or Snowpiercer, like, I also enjoy that, like, maybe one day, like, I can show something like this to my kids mm. because it, it, there is a purity to it. You know, like, it's not, it, it's, you know, it's clean. It, it doesn't have anything that to where, I mean, it would be rated, you know, it wouldn't have any anything to make it a bad rating. But with that being said... Well, that's good because I watched it while I was here at the office, which is a church. So. Yeah, it's, that's good. I, I think for me... I like that it has a lightheartedness, but it's also confronting really real issues. Mm -hmm. Like it makes, it's using cynicism and snark to confront, I think, corruption in journalism. I think it uses cynicism and snark to corrupt, um, to expose corruption in politics. I think it even shows almost something that maybe people miss. One of the most horrifying scenes in the movie is that a girl literally just jumps out of a out of a window to kill herself. And then it just keeps going. <laughs> like it, it's almost like that. This that that then was just get down there and get a story. It's like that everything is a story, and there's a dehumanization that's exposed in this film. But it's done in a comedic and lighthearted way. But I think it also shouldn't be missed of of some of those realities. I think it also shows how you can be so consumed with your work. Mm. You know that you have this couple that literally they had a hard time having a marriage because their marriage was their jobs, and. Um, and to the point where even in the ending, I almost was depressed at the end of the movie because I genuinely, here's the sad thing about the movie. I wanted Cary Grant to get her back the whole time. And I was reading this other guy, a Christian film critic, and he was like, I hated Cary Grant and I did not want him to get her back because he was monstrous. He was willing to literally do so many illegal things, <laughs> whether it was kidnapping a mother-in-law, whether it was using counterfeit money. I don't know how many times poor Bruce went to jail for, you know, like whether it was using, you know, some random crook or this girl to, you know, make accusations. But despite all that, this is what film can do is like I literally was pulling for a guy that was willing to go to such awful lengths to get this girl back. And he probably would have been much happier. She would have been happier getting out of this business that was consuming her, this work that was consuming her. But I think at the end, what kind of broke my heart was that she loved her job was her identity. And they shared that together to the point to where you basically find her at the end of the movie exactly where she was at the beginning thinking she's going to chase something that's going to make her happy that ultimately she already knows from the past didn't satisfy her. And so um, that's what film can do. You can find yourself cheering for someone that you probably don't want to be cheering for. But I kind of disagree about um, like him uh, or her kind of going against who she is to be with him. I think it's the opposite. I think, I think sh who she is, is 
is a journalist and it was him that was that was kind of showing her that but do you think that's a good thing for her that's a good question. I think that's really the, the question of the I mean, film. That's the question. I can make statements of like, hey, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the things that are intrinsic to who I am might not be good for me. I think, personally, I think yes, in her case. Uh, because it seems like she's someone who's never going to stop being a journalist. And if there's someone who's in the trenches with you, you know, who understands you and who loves you, like, eh. Well, they obviously work well not? together. Yeah, then why not? And, and uh, it's I, funny because, you I, know. It, I'm, I'm team Cary Grant. <laughs> well and, and and maybe i can find my way there but i think it's this cool thing to where one of the, one of the best scenes at the end was when they're handcuffed together yeah why were they handcuffed together well was that symbolism i was like i was like who what kind of cop hand, handcuffs them together like they don't get their own setting but what was so weird and maybe this shows something about relationships that from the outside looking in okay maybe i can go to team Carrie grant here their relationship looks toxic now i will think i will say i think carrie's a little narcissistic he doesn't hold the door for her very much and he does (laughs) but i do think especially when those like and forgive me if this is an assumption like back then those kind of things even mattered more than they do now chivalry was much more important so for it to not be present under those circumstances and obviously i think that he she wanted those things from him but i don't think that he didn't care for her i don't um, I don't think she was just like a pawn in his like newspaper business, but there, what I love is that all of a sudden when they get handcuffed together, they weren't panicked. In fact, mm. it, it was where they seemed like they knew how to do this. They, and they start telling stories. I remember that time we, you know, that we almost found ourselves in these perilous situations and there was this lightheartedness that they knew that they could make it through this together. They'd been through it before. And I think that's what relationships are is like you learn how to make it through hard things together. And the newspaper business just happened to be the, the way that they'd found those bonds together. But. I have a question. Um, did the, and it's kind of for both of you, but did this being a 80 year old movie, um, and by that I'm not saying a movie for 80 year olds, I mean it's literally 80 <laughs> years old. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> from this year. Um, I think it's really interesting that it came out uh, right before um, the U.S. got involved in World War II. I thought that was interesting. But anyway, yeah, Yeah. because he mentions that in there. But um, do you think it being a comedy, do you think the jokes landed? Like, and if like, did they land for you? You know, I mean, I I think for today's audience, I mean, that's where I, I I struggled a little bit. And I think they did. You struggled to laugh. I, I did struggle to laugh, but it wasn't because it w- wasn't funny. I just, like I said, I was just shell shocked more than anything. The the whole time to really, I feel like, let myself go into it. Now, the, what you just asked is kind of where I was thinking about going. Is you know talking about comedy and talking about the comedy that's different eighty years ago as opposed to today in uh, twenty twenty when we're recording this. Uh, that. Like, you know, it gets into, like, what is comedy? What is real comedy? Hey, is the comedy, you know, is there a kind of absolute comedy or truth to it? Is it something that always changed with the times? And I think to your question, Ben, like, did this, does this, did this one change with the times? Or is this one more, was this more funny in 1940 than it was in 2020? Well, I think that shows whether a movie, like, they say, does it hold up? You know, like, 
you know, does it still like kind of hold water? Like, I, I think there's definitely some dated comedic elements to it, but I think that the strongest comedic moments to me that I laughed out loud to were the banter between Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant, specifically where she was making digs at him. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she has a lot of little one-liners that are in there, you know, and I think those hold weight. I mean, because I think people relationally can connect with the comedic banter back and forth towards each other relationally. I think the comedic stuff towards journalism, it's like, you know, like her fiance that's running away is like these, you know, these people like, you know, what are you doing? Like, they're not even human. She goes, I know, like they're <laughs> newspapermen. And just that idea that there's almost like, I think we can relate to that. I mean, how much does our world still critique the media? <laughs> You know, what I mean, like, I mean, like, like the, you know, whether no comment. It's, I mean, we live in a world now. Of, is it fake news? Is it not fake news? I mean, like, I thought that. Wait, are, are we media now? Since we're doing podcasts, of course. <laughs> so we're not trusted, and we're villains, you know, <laughs> and we're trying to sway everybody towards terrible ideas. But you know, I, I think that the humor towards journalism worked and towards politics worked. There was uh, maybe some other things that didn't fall as much on. Th- that was probably more funny then. Whether it was stuff particular to their situation, in World War Two. There was there was like one line I remember that made me feel a little uncomfortable that Cary Grant made about race one time. Um, about a colored person like that, that I felt like was like, whoa, like that was really dated. Um, and so like, I felt like there was, a f- it, it, it's real quick. I mean, remember this movie goes fast. Um, <laughs> missed that, but it was talking about like hiring and something. It was like an HR thing, but anyways, oh, no. you know, I think that some of those things maybe did, maybe if you were sitting there in the forties, you would get it more, but like I found just some of the fast moving elements. I would, I find fast moving elements of comedy funny now and I find it funny then. And so some of it transcends time, but I can understand where some of it might not hit as well as it did then. I'm sure. Can, can I ask just some very ignorant questions, Mm -hmm. please? So 1940, how, what percentage of people would have even been going to movies in the forties? Like, or now, like, I mean, obviously, uh, and I'm not looking for a scientific stat, but like now a blockbuster comes out, at least everybody knows the name of it. Well, like not now. Well, oh, rip. <laughs> um, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like was, was film a common man thing back even back then? Or is that different or I mean, is more I, accessibility to TV? Like, I don't so know. I would say that the theater experience was greater back then than it is today. Hmm. And the reason I would say that is kids didn't have video games. You know, uh, there weren't as many things to entertain you. Um, Would you say it was more romanticized? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like the the theater was, I mean, you think about, you watch so many old shows. It was like, you know, they would save up, they would take their quarter, they would take their nickel, whatever, they would go to the theater. And so I, I think the theater, like the Cineplex or whatever, was like more of the center of a town or a city than it is today. Like it was the thing to do in town. Um, and also remember, like you were not, con- there weren't as many movies that came out. Like we have so yeah, yeah, many even that's that kind of what I'm getting at too. And so when a movie well. came out, like, I mean, and also I would say like there are movie stars now given, I mean, you have Twitter now and how many followers you have and stuff like that. But I mean, Cary Grant, some of these people are like Greek God, like levels of like influence back then. I mean, like it was a big deal when a Cary Grant movie came to town. Um, and also for some people, like not every, like now there's theaters everywhere. I mean, not every place had a theater. So I mean, it was a big you had to deal to go to the big city. To go yeah, to the I mean, theater. you know, like, and so it was a big like, deal. Yeah, to, even like the rural town I grew up in, here, in, you know, the late '90s, early 2000s, like it had a movie theater, skating rink, complex, and like it's a one high school in the town kind of place. But uh, like, yeah, but think there. about it. There, there's no Netflix. There's no Hulu, and so you went to the theater to see the movie. There mm-hmm. was not like, oh, I'll just wait till it streams in a couple weeks. Like it was. There was also no piracy. Let's just put that out there. You know, it was like. <laughs> You to, in order to see this, you had to go experience it. Whereas I think experiencing the theater has become something that's not as much of a necessity to where as it was back then. But we should definitely save this topic for another time. But um, did you hear about HBO Max? 
and Warner Brothers? Yes, and I'm excited and sad for the theater all at the same time. Anyway, bring, yeah. bring me and our listeners up to speed. Okay, so basically um, Warner Brothers and HBO Max have uh, come together. For 2021. Yeah, for 2021 that um, what all the new movies that Warner Brothers produces will be able to be streamed on HBO Max for a time. Well, wow. not just that. They are still going to go to theaters, but the exact same day it hits theaters, it hits HBO Max. Yeah. So there's no delay. And they're saying it's only for 2021, but there's no denying for a big, you know, a big production company like that to make that decision. This could literally change the theater forever. Yeah. I had the same conversation with my wife yesterday just about, you know, uh, the validity of um, theaters and if they're going to go away, if they're going to stay, what what the future looks like, are they going to... Like, is it all going to go to streaming? Is some of it going to go? My gut says it all. I mean, bringing this even to this conversation and kind of how we're talking about going to theater in the 40s versus going to theater today in 2020 is why do you go to the theater? Experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that will always stay. I think people will. I think there'll always be a market for, yeah, paying for the experience. Sure. I, I think I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I think like. less movies will make their way to the theater, and I think that the movie theaters are only going to take what they know will be like a blockbuster. So I think a movie like His Girl Friday in a modern day sense might not make it there one day because it, it wouldn't bring in the, the the amount of revenue necessary. Yeah. It need to be like your Jurassic Worlds, your Transformers, your your big things you know that are going to splash. You your, your Marvel movies? Well, no, I mean, think about that's it. That's kind of how it was anyway, though, before covid like before all no, it's been shifting that way for a while that, yeah it's kind like of you go to experience the thing that has the biggest sound effects the yeah. thing that has the biggest like 3d you know like um i'll say what i think to me important about something like his girl friday and this is going to sound like a big stretch but one of the things that's beautiful about technology with film now is that it is so much more about what you see than what you hear mm-hmm. and i think screenwriting can be a lost art now of I'd agree. of like the the artistry of writing a script for a movie is that I am drawn to His Girl Friday because of the script. Like, if you go back and watch it, the the attention to detail of, like, if you watch it a second time, this time I noticed so many little lines, little jabs, little things. And I think there's such beauty to that. And I'm a reader. I like to read books. And I think one thing that I hate about movies, I love movies, is I feel like so many people just consume movies and they don't read anymore. And His Girl Friday r- makes me appreciate literature writing um, more so than others. And so, like, I, I wish I, I like I love. Maybe we'll watch this one day, and y'all hate it too. I, but one of my favorite modern trilogies is the Before trilogy. It's Before Before Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight. And pretty much all the films are are two people talking. They just talk Never and talk. Never heard and talk. of it. But they just talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. And it's some of the best writing I've ever seen on film. But most people don't want to go and just hear people talk. They want to see fireworks, you know? Uh, you were talking about little uh, little things that you notice, little lines here yeah. and there. Like clever lines? Yeah. So actually, there was one that I noticed that I wondered if I wanted to ask you guys if you noticed it. There's a little scene where um, I think Cary Grant, uh, Walter, right? Walter Burns. Yeah, he asks... Um, he asks Louis, who, by the way, who is Louis? Is he like some shady guy that works? Totally, <laughs> he because he make, Louis makes a line at one point that he could be an Alcatraz. Yeah, like so he should he? be arrested. So, okay, so like what? He's just his shady friend. Yeah, oh, totally his, a shady friend. So he's his shady friend that does shady stuff for him. Yes. Okay, just trying to figure out that relationship. All right, so um, there's a, there's a thing where he he has he has uh, Louis has like a protege or something who's like a, a tall blonde woman, right? Yes, I forget her name, but anyway, he asks her to go um to go uh pick up uh, bruce right yes 
and she and what he says though the he says he looks like that guy from tv uh ralph bellamy that was an ad-lib line that was an ad-lib line. that was an ad-lib line. yeah okay and it was ralph bellamy yeah and that's the actor that plays bruce so i thought that was funny and apparently the cr- like clever. the whole cast was completely taken off when he said that but they kept it how do you know that? Was there like I was researching it, yeah. I also found somewhere that he said, because one thing that's interesting about Rosalind Russell... Here's where it says on Wikipedia. I actually just read that same thing. Uh, Grant's character described Bellamy's character by saying he looks like that fellow in the movies. You know, Ralph Bellamy, according to Bellamy, the remark was ad-libbed by Grant. Uh, Columbia studio head Henry Cohn thought it was too cheeky and ordered it to be removed, but Hawks insisted that it stay and was able to, to win it out. Hey, check this out. Um, a little nugget. You know how they hide? Uh, what's his name? Um, what's the murderer's name? That uh, anyway, the, I don't remember the guy they're trying to catch. Uh, when they hide him in the desk, they actually added that. I don't think it was on the the play, the front page, and that actually was a real thing that happened historically in New York. That the New York paper, there was a New York paper that literally they were all looking for, you know, a, a wanted criminal. And they hit him in a desk? And they hit him in a desk. Why? And they hit him in the office literally until the next day to where they could be the first person to get the line. That's It funny. actually happened. <laughs> like, that is... You watch the movie, you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That is such a <laughs> film thing. And they literally were documenting, in a sense, something that actually happened. Hmm. That's funny. I have another question about Louis. Go ahead. So, I think we found uh, Ben's favorite character. Well, he's just he just eludes me. I don't understand <laughs> when he got in that wreck with the cops. I, I don't know what happened there. But. Yeah, me neither. Um, there's, a, there's another line where... Um, so... Uh, Walter Cary Grant tells Louis to give her counterfeit money, right? <laughs> yes. That? Yes. Uh, Why did? And then he goes like, "Oh, I got your four hundred for you." And then she goes four fifty, and he's like, "Oh, can't blame a man for trying." Why would he try to get fifty dollars? Ah, I think he wanted to. Well, I think he probably was a you know a shrewd guy that actually used counterfeit money, and I think he oh, wanted to point. hold on to fifty to use to buy something. <laughs> that's what I think. Oh, yeah, maybe Louis was a snake, but. That was funny when he had to lift him up. Yes. <laughs> he had to physically lift it because he was so short. That was funny. Sorry, someone else talk now. Were there any other just thoughts for you on any things at all about the movie watching experience from His Girl Friday that come to mind that you want to discuss? Me or Cohen? Anybody. Because this can be edited. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I don't have anything as far as like elements of the movie. Uh... It intrigued me. I, I, I'm legitimately probably going to try and go back and watch it again because, like, I want to like this. Like, and so, and I did. Like, it's a, even from what I did watch, it was, like, it's a good movie and I gathered it. But even just aside from me talking about how hard it was, like, the fast-talking nature, I just, I feel like I missed so much watching it and was just trying to keep up. Because, like, again, I think we've established sometimes I get distracted during movies and, you know, I missed one line and in, in here one line like counts as three lines and it's just difficult for me to keep up you know the funny thing is I'm looking at IMDB of like the best quotes and I laughed out loud at some of these quotes but I'm almost embarrassed because when I read them out loud on a podcast I don't think they're going to sound that funny but some of it was the way like Rosalind Russell actually delivered the lines and I was telling Ben this beforehand I think she really acted like she was a bull in a china shop She I, one thing I like is strong female characters especially in movies back then and she was a woman in the midst of a whole world of male journalists and she she was just a like dominating force in this movie but one thing that's interesting historically to note is that she acted with a chip on her shoulder because she was like Howard Hawks last person like to cast like he, like he did not want her in this role so she delivers a lot of her lines with such emphasis and he, she confronted him one time she's like I know you don't want me doing this why don't you just tell me and his response was hey 
just keep pushing Carrie around like you're doing. Like he was actually impressed once he got her on there, like that she was just driving him. But like she has some line in there of like, like, you know, Carrie says, look, Hildy, I only acted like any husband that didn't want to see his home broken up. And she goes, what home? And he goes, what home? Don't you remember the home I promised you? And I think that line was just revealing of like, this whole thing was almost, you know, he had this broken idea. Broken promises. That, yeah, broken yeah. promises, you know, but like it was funny the way she delivered it or, you know, and so, but I say it and I laughed at the line, but as I read it, like the, I could read my favorite lines and they wouldn't probably fall as funny lines on a podcast, but they made me laugh during, you know, the middle of it. So. I did have one thing I wanted to say or more so just appreciation for the, for the climax of the movie. Um, I thought it was really hilarious how uh, when she found out that Bruce was arrested yet again, she found out about the uh, the counterfeit money. The <laughs> at least what I thought her reaction would be, or the typical reaction would be her to be like angry or something at Cary Grant uh, for doing that because she because she knew it was him. But instead, her reaction was relief because she she was relieved that he wasn't going to let her just move off, like just leave. And well, go no, away. that's the actual romance of the film. Was right. that I in the, thought that was hilarious. Yeah. In the end, when she's, <laughs> when the end, when she's crying, like he thought, you know, she was actually crying because it was almost overjoyed. Right. That <laughs> I almost <laughs> thought you wouldn't fight to keep me. Right. Right. And the whole movie, she plays it like she's not, but it's like, man, her fiance has been thrown in jail like three times, stolen his money, like done all this other stuff. Like the mother-in-law like, gets in a car crash. And ultimately at that point, she's not even concerned of ethics. She is literally just, she is moved romantically that this man did all this so that she wouldn't go. And I think it's so that she wouldn't go become something she's not, like you're saying. There's this line where Bruce is like, you know, talking about taking her to Albany to where she can do this. And all of a sudden in the midst of fury, her real, her real passion comes out and she's like, you know, I'm not going up to Albany to become a bridge player. Like I'm a, I'm a newspaper man. And I'm like there, like that is, that is who she wants to be. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I did think that that was a good moment, Ben. I just thought it was hilarious. Good pick, Matthew. It was, I appreciated it. And I would definitely encourage others to, to watch it and give it a chance. The only really bad thing I could say about it is just it was a little underwhelming um, that like a lot of the stuff happened off screen, uh, but we already talked about that. There are a couple moments, Mr. Videographer, that uh, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you noticed this, and I'll leave it with this. Okay. That as much as it was a talkie, there was some good cinematography at moments. Okay. To where it's actually known if you go back and watch the second time, there's some actually really long takes to where it goes numerous minutes without a cut. And there's one mo- there's one scene I don't know if you noticed in particular to where. Cary Grant, I believe, is sitting in a chair, and the camera actually does this rolling move where it arcs around the chair to where you see her make this like big facial expression, comes around, you don't see her, and then like you see her again. And so there was actually some attention to uh, cinematography in the film that I think gets lost in all of the um, in all of the talking. Now, to your point, it doesn't actually show a lot of things that happen off screen, but I do think it attempted to uh, capture some things, um, you know, through through the camera lens. But hey guys, I just want you to know, I appreciate you, I uh, feel like this is a safe, uh, cool place to where you can, each week when it's your turn to pick, you can pick something, and uh, I appreciate you uh, watching something you might not have watched, and that's one thing I want this podcast to be, is I want to challenge people to watch things they might not normally watch, and if you don't like it, you know what, I, I think you can always learn something from it and be stretched, um, and just in general in life, I think that's a good practice to to be stretched, to try things that maybe you don't think are your cup of tea um, and uh, kind of widen your palate of what you uh, learn from, entertain by, and appreciate. And so I'm, I'm, I appreciate y'all's willingness to watch it. 
Thanks. I full-heartedly agree, man. I think this whole podcast, the point of it is to, you know, encourage people to um, ch- uh, challenge themselves by watching something that they might not normally watch. I'll tell you something I've really enjoyed is even just the differences in all the movies we've <laughs> yeah. watched. I mean, I, is this episode five now? I think so. I I mean, all five movies are very, very different, and yeah. which is a, a cool thing, and so... Uh, they're not really different, aren't they? Yeah, they're like <laughs> literally five, just about as different as it can get genres. Whose pick is next? I Opens. believe it's mine. Yes. Do you have something now? Or you got to think about it. I have a couple in mind. It's probably going to be Brick. Just being <laughs> real. It's probably going to be Brick. Have you seen Brick? Yes. Yes. And the reason is, is because of a podcast. Film Spotting, they literally have an award they give out every year called the Golden Brick Award. And the Golden really? Brick is given to the movie each year that is probably going to go underappreciated that was awesome. And it was named after Brick. So I have a deep, it deep love for Brick. one of my all-time favorite films. I saw it in high school, I think. And uh, I, I love it. I, I know you aren't going to believe this, it. but I have not seen it. Is that the no. DVD you gave me like three months ago to watch? It is. <laughs> it's basically a film, a film noir in a high school setting. So. Oh my God, it's so good. Anyway, can't wait to talk about that next week or next time. I guess it won't be next week, but it'll be sometime in the near future. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with someone, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Uh, like it, subscribe to it, comment. Uh, that really does help and helps us know uh, that y'all are listening and y'all hear this, and this is something that we're being able to offer to you. So thank y'all. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Ben. And thank y'all for listening to another episode of Watch Better Movies. See ya. See ya.